What's up, guys? Welcome to episode number 32 of the Joe Ciccarelli Show. Today's episode is a conversation with former NFL player and motivational speaker David Akers. Uh, I was really excited to have David on the show. Uh, if you guys don't know who he is um, from just his name, I would highly recommend you hit pause on this podcast and put his name into Google. If you're driving, probably don't do that right now. But when you have a second, put his name into Google and all the information you want about him will come up. Um, I remember growing up as a kid watching David Akers kick game-winning field goals um, for the NFL, uh, for the Philadelphia Eagles in the NFL. He played for a couple other teams as well. But um, yeah, it was really cool. We, we have a mutual friend that kind of connected us and um, was like, hey, I think this guy would be a good fit for your podcast. So we had an initial conversation and we chatted for about 30, 40 minutes. And I'm like, hey, look, man, I could talk to you all day, but let's record an hour of it and uh, come on the podcast, and uh, that's what we do here. So the the, the, the conversation today is, um, at least initially and throughout, pretty focused on football. I mean, th- this is a big deal for, for those of you that aren't into American football. For those of you that are into American football and around my age, um, you know who David Akers is. You don't need to do any background on him. But for those of you that don't and you do a little work into Google, um, you know, the ability to talk to a guy that played at this level of the NFL is cool to just learn a little bit more about what that was like. And that was really interesting to me. Uh, a lot of my podcasts around self-development and how to become a better version of yourself, but it's also getting to learn about um, different people and their kind of their stories. I know for you guys that tuned in last week, I talked to a friend of mine who was a professional race car driver. And what was interesting about that was just to pick his brain and learn about race car driving. So part of this is just picking his brain about like, what was it like? to be a kicker in the NFL. Um, I've seen you on TV. Everyone sees you on TV. And, but what's it really like to, to go through that? And how do you maintain um, that level of competitiveness throughout your career? And so we talk a lot about that. And then that morphs into you know, how this applies to life and how you become a vet, better version of yourself in life. And uh, certainly how David does that and a lot of information on him and kind of um, how, how he's gone through his career in football and how he's gone through his his life to this point and kind of what he's doing now and what he's doing next. Um, so really interesting stuff in here, guys. I, I think if you're a football fan, you're going to love this just because of the the person that I'm talking to. But if you're not, um, and I always try and do this in my podcasts, um, you know, I, I try and bring this back to like, what do you take out of this as an individual who's just interested in someone who's been a top performer in their life? And how do you apply that to your life, and we try and talk about some of that stuff. I'm trying to get better in my interviewing, and always love the feedback from you guys. One of the the, the feedback I got from my wife Nat on my previous podcast is the ending just kind of cuts out, so I put a little song in at the end, so you know, so you'll officially know when it's over. Uh, and I'll get back to my outros at some point, but for an hour long podcast, I appreciate your guys' time for that hour, so I don't want to bog you down with a big outro at the end. But anyway, um, always interested in ways I can get better. One of the things I'm focused on is really the details, right? So how do you, okay, great, you do this. How did you do this? And not just how did you do this, but how did you do that to do that to do this? And I think that's what people are interested in. The devil's in the details. And uh, there's a lot of good stuff there. So I'm trying to get better at that and kind of pushing people um, to give me more. Not what you did, but how you did it. So there's, there's some of that in here as well. And I hope you guys enjoy it, and I look forward to your feedback. David, thanks for joining, man. Welcome to the Joe Ciccarelli Show. Hey, thanks for having me, brother. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm, I'm really excited to have you. I have a lot of different people on, but I'm sure uh, people will recognize you. Um, and I just... I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know anymore. <laughs> and, uh, well, I, I, I guess... 
if I could start anywhere, I'd, I'd ask you, you know, I was obviously watching some videos and checking in on, you've done a lot of cool stuff. You've had a lot of big, big kicks and a lot of big games. What's the one that kind of stands out to you the most and kind of talk me through it? And, and it could be the, the actual super, the, the actual um, pass that you threw for a touchdown too, if that's uh, different. <laughs> I was reading about that too, but anyway, what sticks out to you, man? Talk mm. us through it a little bit. I would say one of the coolest experience, and first off, there, there are a lot of kicks at different points in your career that are meaningful to the team at, at that specific time. And so it's like, all right, that was great. And then something else kind of comes up. But there was a cool sequence of events of kicks that happened to me in 2000. Um, I, I was playing with the Eagles at the time. We were, we were in old Three River Stadium against the Steelers. And we were down by 10 points with like, like three minutes to go in the game. And generally in the NFL, that that's pretty much you, you're done. You're out of it at that point. Uh, you got a two-minute warning. Maybe you have a timeout or two left at that point. And it's like, yeah. So we, we drive down and, and we get seven. Um, actually, earlier in the game, I had, before concussion protocol, I, I had made a tackle in the game. And <laughs> the idiot of me, you know, the guy was kind of running out of bounds. I was just kind of going to like, push him out and nothing, nothing spectacular. And he digs in at the sideline, comes up in his helmet underneath my chin and, you know, gave me a good one. I had a migraine in the game. I, I, I get migraines quite often or did. Um, and I, I close my eyes and I'm seeing all the aura and then I'd open up and tell the snap, the snapper and the holder, like, okay, I'm go. And then I'd open up and then I'd kick so I could see the ball. Cause other than that, I was just seeing this big fuzzy ball. And then that kind of went away. Uh, but we, 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 we go down, we score. It's now we're down by three with very little time to go in the game. I do an onside kick during this time frame of, of the NFL. If you kick the ball and it did not go 10 yards, you would have a five yard penalty and you had a retry. You could also overload your men to, to one side where basically I had one group of guys going to blow up the, the, uh, the hands team on the, on the kickoff return. And then on the backside of us, we'd have guys going for the ball. So it was like a double way. You can't overload that way. You can't take a big run at the ball anymore. They've all tried to do that for player safety. So I hit this, what I call a high hop. I hit the ball down. It takes one quarter revolution and then shoots straight up in the air. And you want it to come down right at 10 yards. You don't really want it 12, 13. You want it right on. So it's hard to, to manipulate that ball to get it to come right on the line. So sometimes you're a little on the short side. Sometimes you're a little bit. So as that ball's coming down, Gerard Cherry, one of our great special teams guys, goes up and grabs the ball at like nine and three quarter at this highest point. It would have gone 10 yards easily, but it was just about that much too early. And so we had to redo the kick. And you're like, oh my gosh, Gerard, if you would have just caught it here instead of here, it would have you know, been the difference. So we we do it again, and then the ball hits just a little short, but then takes another bounce, and we grab it. And so we have no timeouts left. We're, we're running down the field, and the clock's running, and they call this a mayday a lot of times or bonsai, depending on who your special teams coordinator are uh, for, for your teams. But basically, 
you're just trying to rush out. You really can't take off your steps very well. And generally you need about 17 seconds to get your, your whole field goal personnel on the field to, to be able to get this kickoff. Well, we had 16 seconds. So the clock was running, no timeouts and, and it's running. And I, I know there's a video of it. It's like, it goes up to the clock, back down to us, back up to the clock, back down to us. And we got it off, I think in a total of 13 seconds, which is extraordinarily, extraordinarily fast. It was a 42-yarder. We tied the game up. We go into overtime, and then I hit a 42-yarder uh, to, to win the game. And that was two back-to-back weeks of game-tying, game-winning field goals. And it, it kind of started the propelling of me as having the real confidence in my ability on the field, giving confidence to the organization and to the fans at that point to have this kind of breakout year, if that makes sense. And uh, so that that game, as crazy as it was, uh, the ability that I had to, to go out and, and have three pretty cool kicks in, in a very short time frame uh, always sticks in my mind as one of the one of the cool sequences of field goals and, uh, you know, just kind of opportunities on the game. Yeah. Wow. How do you and I always wonder this, man, like that's just that's a grueling situation and I mean anything you do in the NFL is but like sitting on the sidelines watching a team drive down the field and just keep seeing the pan the pan zoom to the kicker warming up and it's like <laughs> what is going on in that person's head right now I mean like because it's just so how do you deal with like that the buildup of stress pressure um you know when you're when 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 you know that like the goal is to get into a situation where you can win the game or tie the game I think some of this stuff is innately born in you to, to a degree. Uh, when, I, when I was a kid, I was playing soccer. I was a keeper. I was also a striker. I wanted to be the guy that scored the penalty kicks, and I wanted to be the guy that, that stopped the penalty kicks. I just wanted to be that guy. And I was pretty small. Uh, my, my freshman year in college, I was 5'9", 151 pounds, soaking wet. I gained basically 35 pounds uh, by the end of my spring of, of my freshman year. So uh, I basically am what I am right now, 5'9", and, and 185, 186 at that point. I'm like 178 now. The I did change kind of my the way I train. This is a whole off topic, but I, I've i actually had this conversation with different people as well. But like I, I played at one point at 209 pounds and just trying to, to find what worked best for me. But to answer kind of back to that question, um, I, I think a little bit of that is is innately born in you. You either want to be the guy that says, hey, you know, follow me. I, I got this here. You know, the lead dog, scenery never changes, right? Or if you're not if you're not out in front, your scenery never changes. So for me, I, I think there's there's a lot of uh, a lot of want to out there because I, I do talk to some kickers and they're terrified of the last second field goal. And I'm like, well, if you think about it this way, if you think about the first extra point of the game and you go up seven, another team gets two field goals, you win seven to six or vice versa. You, you have an opportunity, you, you miss it and you you don't get the extra point the first one in the game that might be the deciding factor by the time the game's so if you have the mentality of every kick is meaningful then generally you kind of add up all these these kicks or these plays and hopefully by the time you're done your percentages um, of of quality plays 
outweigh your, your negative ones. That's something that Coach Andy Reid talked with us about for, for years. And, and even another coach that was down in the Miami area for years, Howard Schnellenberger, it's, it's not the, the alligators that generally get you. It's the gnats. It's the little things. So always taking care of the little things and always being able to, to be that person that, that when called upon, you're, you're, you're willing and able to, to go out and perform. And sometimes you kind of make this bigger than it is. But if you think about what you're supposed to do at this time, have success and then forget about it. And then the next play, have success, forget about it. Can't dwell on the success or, or the, the, um, the bad things that have happened, the failures that have happened, but kind of being, all right, what's my next one? And they talk about kickers. You're only good as your last kick. That's true. And kind of thinking the same thing as a defensive back. If, if they get burned on a play, if they're, if they're on that island and they're constantly worried about what's going to happen to them the next play, they're not going to have success. It's, okay, trust in your ability. You've had success. Okay, great. You've had failure. Okay, that we're going to learn from it. We're going to move on and then continue that process down the, down, down the, the time frame of a game. And then by the time it's all said and done, generally, those, those people that focus on that next play have more success than the ones that worry about their success or, or, or cheer themselves on for their for, excuse me, the people that worry about their failures kind of mm-hmm. struggle, but the people that also have had struggle with focusing on their success of the past don't have the success in the future. Yeah. They kind of both. And so that's really life advice really. Right. I mean like, and so, so it's super like specific to kicking. Um, but like you said, it could be a defensive back, could be someone trying to start a business, could be someone dealing with anything else in life. Are there particular things? So obviously you're really good at that. <laughs> um, you know, in, in order to be, you know, to, to have the kind of success you did. So, what would you share with listeners that like, is there anything like, was there conversations in your head? Because we all know um, we have these voices in our head. That's like, Oh God, I shouldn't have done this. I shouldn't have done that. Why did I do this? And then it it starts to grow and take over. Um, Did you have like meditation routines? Did you have, like you said, taking care of the small things? What are some examples? And it doesn't have to just be in kicking, but in life, like what do what do you do to keep your eyes on the new scenery? Well, you make a great point. Everything that I'm talking about sports related is actually life applicable. Yeah. I mean, totally. And I, I believe that, that that thread is woven between us. And that's where I believe you see a lot of top-notch athletes are very successful in life. And I'm not saying, well, it's about meaning success, meaning a financial success. You can have success and it just depends on what you're, you're trying to, to be motivated by. It's the things that, yes, you have ability and ability will take you so far, but you have to have a work ethic that's going to propel you. I was an average at best athletic guy, um, even though I played at a high level, doing something at a high level that takes a lot of skill in, in, a, in a set, if you will, but ultimately, I, I do believe that in life, you have to have this want. You have to be able to go out, and I, I know this sounds kind of cliche in this because you're thinking athletically, when the lights are off, no cameras are on you, no fans are in the stands, you're willing to put the time, the effort into your self-discipline, your motivation 
to be better and greater than somebody else and find those little niches to say, if I can get two, 3% better than this person, I can keep my job. Think about this. I, I was one of 32 players in the entire world at the highest level at, at one time. There were hundreds, if not thousands of people that wanted to be in my shoes and were gunning for my job. And I was able to do it for 16 years and have some decent success with it. If you can put that same mindset into your work on a daily basis of what you do, would that give people the motivation to find little ways to improve? Or would it say, I can't handle the pressure, I want out? And it becomes kind of this personal internal dilemma that people have. And that's when you find out who your true leaders are and people that are self-motivated. And, and listen, the way I tick in, internally isn't for everybody. But I also speak to different corporations when we talk about teamwork, leadership quality, self-motivation, perseverance, and things like that. Going back to your original question, is there something that I think about? I talk to myself all the time. I go on the field and I'm literally shaking inside. They're like, man, you look like the Iceman from like Top Gun. Like, what are you talking about? You have ice water in your veins? No. I had to deal with Pepto-Bismol because I would drink a half a bottle before the game because it, my stomach would – but you have this adrenaline rush. You have this you know, fight or flight that happens in life, and you can either yeah. use that for a positive or you can shrink up and be negative with that, right? You're like, man, I'm going to own this. I'm going to get out there. It's because of all the practice and things that I had kind of done in preparation that I also was a martial artist. And let's break it down this way. When you learn different skills in martial arts, you'll start off, okay, I'm going to do this block. I'm going to come in with this punch. And then I'm going to come in with this kick. And you do them in sequential order so that when – you're practicing, you can get a little bit faster, a little bit faster, and then all of a sudden you're in you're in a sparring match and your brain is now kind of off and your neuromuscular memory is is kicking into gear. It's like boom, boom, and it's it's all happening. So to a degree, I would try to do that going onto the football field. If I really started focusing on it, well, the wind is really coming across this way, the the sandy field is a little bit not as firm as what I'm used to. And and my foot's given a little bit, so I'm going to be a couple inches sliding past the ball at impact. The field's a little messed up. Uh, I haven't been kicking as well on the sideline. Like your head starts to, to put all this doubt in you. Instead of saying, okay, if I get through the ball, meaning if I allow my momentum to track through the ball, generally good things happen. So that was kind of a key phrase for myself. I would try to not have the ritualistic things. I would try to have a systematic way of being consistent so that I could be hopefully consistently accurate over and over again. Take the head out of the game for me once I'm there. Now, practice, that's a whole different story. I was very dialed in, checklist, one, two, three, four. But there was times that we would say, you just had to be an athlete. And doing that, taking your head out, it's kind of like in a fight. Now you can you can have strategy and you can do things like that, but at impact, everything kind of went blank, and my my body took over. Uh, mm. I, I do do some different things now that that I'm out of the NFL and I and I do some water skiing and we have some friends that that are in common that way. And everything that I've learned athletically, intuitively to be an athlete, strength, 
uh, positioning, uh, where does this power and, and balance come from is completely different than I ever. So I, I'm struggling with that. It's interesting because this thing, you have to have your mind in tune the whole time. You're almost talking to yourself all the way through it, which means in life, depending on what you're doing, you can have different ways of having ultimate success. That for me on the field was taking the mind out of it, but also having all the way I practice. And then maybe in the skiing world, still a very skill-oriented athletic sport where you might need to be a little bit more intentional in your mind being a part of it because it's Maybe not so ballistic, but just being, okay, I need to be here, here. This is how I needed to work out. And ultimately, it goes back to what I said in the beginning. If you spend the time, if you put in the effort, if you say, I want to grow and be better in these fields, whether it's athletically, in the business world, in leadership qualities that you do, you have to be able to do it when the Cameras are off, the lights are off, nobody's in the stands, and you're willing to put the work into yourself to increase your ability day in and day out. Yeah, absolutely. So it's, it's funny that you loop that back. It's one of the things I was thinking of, and I've, we've, we've all read this, is like when the going gets tough, and I don't know the words, but I'm sure you're, when the going gets tough, like you fall to your highest level of training in a way, right? And I know that's mm-hmm. a big military saying or whatever. And so it kind of seems like that's – like you said, when, 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 when the, when it's on the line and everything's going crazy, it's out of sight, out of mind. And just, you're going to fall to your training, which you did when the lights were off. Um, so in life, how do you think like, so it's super easy in not super easy. It's simpler. I would think in football, right? Because you, you have, here's what I need to do. Here's, you know, you work on your, you know, here are the specific things that make up a good kick. Um, and I wonder how people apply that to their life. Cause I think there's so it's, it's, it's more abstract and ambiguous sometimes success in life. Like, you know, for you, success was kicking a field goal, boom, mm-hmm. like kicking a 10 yard, like there's certain th- repertoires. And so it doesn't make it easier, but it's simpler. But in life, I feel like th- it's like a two prong issue. One is what is, what are you trying to do? Right? Like, what are you trying to create? And then two, what are the things you do when the lights are off that allows you to be successful and they come on? What are your thoughts on that? I think, look, there, there's two different, I think, kind of groups of people. You have the people that are motivated in life that want to have challenges. They want to have a purpose. Maybe that's faith-related purpose that says, hey, I want to be driven this way, and I, there, there's a reason behind it. Maybe people have purpose for saying, I need, I need this intention in life for something. And then you have the other people. And I will say this, there, there's a huge issue with a lot of people after they get out of the NFL and military, same thing. There's such a high demand on success. There's always people looking over your, your shoulder for your job that if you do not do well, the next guy's up, right? There's always somebody younger, bigger, better, faster, stronger, and cheaper on pay scale than you. So how do you keep that kind of going? assimilating back to the real world once you're done playing or after you're in, out of the military is a challenge. Jay Glazer, who's a Fox Sports announcer, uh, 
he also does a lot in mixed martial arts and UFC as well in, in the past. He's done a thing where it's called merging vets and players. So no matter where you are in sports world and and where you are in this kind of team-oriented thought, that's probably the toughest thing I've seen for me to, to overcome coming out of the NFL is, is that locker room. And it happens for – I have a buddy who's a psychiatrist. He works for the DOD, and he works for the Chiefs and the Eagles at times on guys assimilating back to, because there are these people that I've tried to get people to work on a, a place at a lake house for me and getting them to work three days in a week is crazy. It's so hard. And they would work two days if they could pay their electric bill for that week, get their sun drop and, and whatever else. Right. It's a different thought versus this mindset of, man, I, I am going to be the best that I can possibly be, right? There are days that you have to talk and motivate yourself into that. You're not, it's tough to say, okay, I'm going to be the best each and every day of my life. You know, I have had a coach that, uh, John Harbaugh, who's the Ravens head coach, and I, I played for his brother, Jim, and his dad, Jack, I almost played for him in college. And they have this family motto that says, attack each day with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. So you can think about a Ric Flair, you know, the old wrestler, Pulling back the, the bed sheets as he gets up and like, woo, like I'm going to attack today <laughs> with an enthusiasm unknown to mankind. If you have that sort of thought process, you can't help but be contagious. But there are things that you say, oh, as a kicker, you work on, you do things. There's a difference. In, in the business world, I'm, I'm big on network. I'm big on my team around you, okay? I had a high school coach that said to me, well, it was said to, to a team banquet, he's like, somebody called him a self-made man. And he's like, man, there's no such thing as a self-made person. Mm, yeah. People talk about that. He's like, no, no, no. There's always a mom, a dad, a grandpa, grandpa, you know, a grandma, uh, uh, aunt, uncle, brother, sister, cousins, teachers, counselors, principals, coaches, mentors, uh, people that are friends and, and, and loved ones that that have given you opportunity, taught you, loved you, encouraged you, held you accountable, kicked you in the tail in life to get you to where you are right now. To say you've done it all yourself is just very selfish. And he always adds, he says, if somebody thinks yourself, maybe you can own that person in five minutes. But realizing your team, your life team, who are the people that are your starters, who are your all pros on the field, who are the people that are coming off the bench? Who's like that sixth man or 12th man, depending on what sports analogy you're trying to utilize? Who are those people? And once you identify that, then you can learn to rely on them. As a kicker, I don't know if you ever think about this, but I have 10 guys in front of me, 20 feet working in unison. They all have to do their job to the best of their ability before I can even attempt my job. So you're talking about the corporate world. You're talking about people that, that are needing people that work underneath them or side by side them, they all have to do their job so that you can have success. But it's an interesting thing to think about this. In, in an NFL locker room, you have dynamics of people with different religion, different cultural, economic backgrounds, social thought processes of, of how to live, political, this, you, you name it, completely sure. opposite. But we have one goal. The goal is to come together and win a championship. Now, some teams out of those 32 can get close but only one ends up winning. And at the end of that year, that whole team is dismantled. You're never going to have, generally, 
I'd say 25 to, to 35% of that team every year is kind of changed. But for me, if you go back and I think about the snapper, it starts with that guy. Then the hold has to be just right. The line has to be protecting in a way that they have to work together, but individually at the same time. So you have a guy at the wing and, and the guys come around, they call them the skinners. And you always see them laying out, diving off the edge, mm-hmm. trying to block yep. the kick. Well, if my wing shoots out to that guy right away, well, he leaves the tight end vulnerable for the jumper to come between. So they have to work in unison. He has to jam that jumper coming in and then rock or step out and block that guy. And we always have these people in our lives. And I talk about this to people. There was a guy named Chad Lewis. He was a three-time Pro Bowl tight end, but nobody knows he was the best wing I ever had. Because what he did is he'd go out in the game and he would protect my left side and he'd say, Dave, I got your back. I'm like, okay, I appreciate you. But he said he, he, he put such a, um, a, a quality of his play on the field each and every week that it gave me more time. More time gave me the ability to see the ball more. See the ball generally gave me the ability to be more consistent with it. I remember we were playing the, the Redskins or the formerly the Redskins. Uh, and there was a guy named Fred Smoot that was coming off the edge, very fast defensive back. Uh, but but Chad, he he played at BYU. He's one of these most quiet, I guess quiet, kind of calm, you know, guys that would sit out there. And he he point over Freddie and say, Fred, if you come, I'm gonna have to cut you. And what that means is he's gonna take his helmet, he's gonna cut it right through his knees. We call it taking the pins out, and they usually go flying. But Chad was about six five. And about 245 pounds. And if his big body stretches out, he can make them fly. And so Fred, sure enough, comes. Chad cuts him in the next week. I hit the kick. I turn around. I hear Fred on the ground rolling around. Ah! And Chad's like, bro, I told you if you came, I was going to have to cut you. He didn't come anymore uh, as, as the game went on. And the people on, on video see who Chad is. And they could see, like, man, I can't go with that guy because he's going to cut me. He does such a great job. We need to start to look at the other side and see if we can find a weakness there. But this goes down with a guy that, for me, nobody knows on the field goal protection was the best guy that I ever had protecting me. And he's really known as a tight end. But for him, he's like, I want to make David better. And this is how I can do it. Think about that in the cor- yeah. corporate world. Yeah. Think about that as the clerical worker. Think about that as somebody under management that says, you know, I really should be getting that opportunity. I need this chance over here. And, and people are saying, well, that's great. But are you really doing it for the team? Or are you trying to do it for yourself? And yes, you can think about the NFL and, and athletics being very selfish. But generally, the teams that have a lot of success and they win together, those individuals get taken care of as well. You want players from those winning teams. They know how to win. They innately have been there and, and they understand that, man, I, I got to have a part of that. What makes them tick? And so as a rising tide, we're lifting all ships. Yeah, yeah. So one one thought on football compared to like life when we kind of look, look at the disparities is – in life, you're your own player and your own coach, right? And so it's like um, when you talk about building a network 
and building a team and all this stuff in, in the NFL. I mean, outside of maybe Tom Brady, who shows up in Tampa and probably says, I want this guy, this guy, and this guy, you know, you're dealt the hand you're dealt with your coach is going to put the best people in place and you figure it out. But in life, in a way you have kind of somewhat control over who you bring onto your team. I guess maybe if you're working, um, you, you know, you don't, but generally speaking, do you, I guess I'm looking at like individual people here. Um, and there's a lot of people that spend a lot of time. They say you're, you're uh, the sum of the five people you spend your time with or something like that. I think there's a lot of people that spend, spend time with people that m- maybe aren't great for them. So in life, have you dealt with that at all? I mean, in terms of, hey, you got to move on from certain people or you got to really focus on bringing the right person in um, and surrounding yourself? And yeah, what, what are your thoughts on that? Um, well, you definitely you surround yourself with great people. I, I will say this. There, I think there's you're going to have a network of people that are, in, are on your team that are your professional group and you're going to have a personal group. And there's probably some, if you look at that spider web, there's going to be some of that matrix where they intertwine together. The great coach that I know and a little bit before my time with Dick Vermeil, he would talk about surround yourself with greatness so you can be great as well. Mm. You hear these things in life. Um, John Madden talks about the road to easy street goes right through the sewer. (laughs) And if you can compare those two, if you, nothing in life comes easy is basically is what he's saying, right? You're You're going to have success and it's going to look like Shawshank, right? He gets out of the, the muck and the mire. He comes out and he escapes through the sewage line, right? You can kind of visualize that. But also, if you're surrounding yourself with greatness, you're surrounding yourself in the business world with people that aren't going to be yes men. They're, they're not going to say, oh, yeah, yeah, I think this is the way we need to do it or whatever, boss or whatever. But you surround yourself with people that are smarter than you are, that will hold you accountable, that will challenge you. I think you're going to have more success that way. But that also can kind of weave into your personal life, too. Do you want somebody in your life who's going to be a yes person on you? Or do you want to be challenged there too? It goes back to that two group people. Do you want the people that are saying, I want, I want different things in life. I don't just want to exist. I want to have a passion and a purpose in life. And it can be for so many different, you know, areas that, that you can, you know, kind of hone your, your, your focus in on. But ultimately, I just I see you have to surround yourself with great people and not necessarily like minded in the way of, of, hey, this person only thinks the exact same thing I do. And that's the reason why I want them, because I want them to agree with everything I say. But like minded is in driven and wanting to challenge and, and, and not necessarily be that yes person. And. Uh, I, I will say that most of the time, the people that have successful marriages are going to come from people that, yeah, there's a lot of similarities to a degree, but there's there's going to be major differences as well. And those are going to be challenging, but that's kind of how you come together in those challenging moments. Uh, the, you, you hear about this in, in the corporate world, the people that have success 
big companies that have success, they're not just people that are going to be yes, man, to tell you. They're going to be like, no, no, no. Why are you doing that? Let, let me show you another path. Maybe this might be better. And, and let's look at it together. If you're just going to be that person that micromanages and says, I'm going to do it this way. and This is the only way to be done. You're only going to get to a certain level. I think about that same thing in, in the way I train physically. And a lot of people say, oh, you kick, just kick, kick, kick. And I was like, yeah, did you realize I got into martial arts so I could kick with my other leg? They're like, why? So because your body will only get to a point of plateau because you can only have an imbalance of strength on your body to a certain degree to where it won't allow you to strength, strengthen anymore. But if you strengthen your other side, then your body has an ability to get even stronger because there's not an inverse uh, proportionately muscle balance, imbalance. And so once I started doing that, I found just a little bit of an edge on other guys. And then other people started doing martial arts as well. And it didn't come just from me. I was like, oh, this is my great idea. I learned that from a veteran that I was able to almost be a, uh, an, an apprentice to my first year in the NFL with a guy named Norm Johnson who played, I think, 18 years in the NFL. And I watched this guy day in and day out on how he was as a professional. So if I go back and I think again about who in my life are people that created me as, as a player, as a person, there's two different groups. But those mindsets of surrounding yourself with greatness they come together and, and they 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 converge um, with that matrix, you know, within my network. Yeah, absolutely. How have you approached? Um, I know you've talked about martial arts. Um, how do you approach, uh, e- even at this stage, being out of the NFL, like staying healthy? Are you big on diet? Are you big on exercise? What does that look mm-hmm. like for you? Well, I, I went through a stage. Let me kind of. So back in two thousand and fourteen. Well, let me let, let me give the viewers a little bit of understanding. So I, I played 16 years of, of games. I had 15 credited seasons. I started off as an undrafted free agent with the, the Panthers, Falcons, and Redskins. Those are my first three teams, and I didn't last long at all. And, and that was three teams within two seasons. I, I get picked up by the Eagles. They send me to, to play in NFL Europe. And that back then it was an allocation. So even though I was playing for the Berlin Thunder, I had an Eagle emblem here that showed that that I was it was kind of like the minor league system at the time. I ended up getting really sick over there and I got seminal food poisoning, was hospitalized in an East Berlin hospital back in 1999. And during that time, uh, I, I just like, man, I just need to get back to the States. I was newly married. Uh, I, this, this isn't going to be happening for me. I lost 30 pounds and less than three days. Uh, it, it was nuts. So I've come back what? to the States. 30 I, pounds in less than three yeah, it days? Crazy. I, that's when I first heard about being really quarantined. You know, I, I literally <laughs> was not allowed to leave this room. It was a, it was a, it was the size wow. of a big closet. I had a window, uh, a sink, a wheelchair with a bucket in it. And that's what was my bathroom. You know, I had nothing else. Um, wow. I make it, I make the Eagles that year as the long field goal specialist and a kickoff guy, basically, because they, they had a guy named Chris Bonio, who is actually down in Tampa as a, as a, as a kicking and uh, assistant special teams coordinator down there. Uh, but I, I kind of beat him out. They bring in Norm Johnson. I'm like, Oh, 
now I'm done again. And but I, I play that year and I learned a lot. I ended up making it to six Pro Bowls and playing those 15 years and had a lot of had a lot of success in there. After my last Pro Bowl, I had you hear sports hernia surgery. It's called athletic pubalgia. So my rectus abdominal muscles were kind of rolling up and shredding, and my adductors were kind of pulling down in my legs. So they reattached, do all that. Uh, I, I had a really painful recovery uh, in rehab. But my first NFL game back, I ended up hitting a 63-yarder, which tied an NFL record at the time in Lambeau Field. And, and that was opening day of 2013, uh, 2012. And things were like, okay, this can be good. And I had a fall at practice. And we had this new turf field, not turf, as meaning astroturf, but like a new, it was bluegrass. They replaced a Bermuda and put bluegrass down. But it was wet and this turf slid out from under me. I kind of did a Charlie Brown landing on my shoulder. And I was like, oh, everything's fine. Well, the next day I started having the same pains that I was having from the surgery and I was like, oh, no. And it was progressively getting worse. And I had a terrible season. I, I would think that these kicks should be going through. The form looked good. I don't understand why they're, they're staying a little left. And we get to the point where they send me back to my, my surgeon. He's like, here, we need to do some injections. And things still didn't get any better. And ultimately, we go to the Super Bowl. We lose that Super Bowl. I get released, injured. and. I go back to the doctor because they said, you need to see him again. And I, I saw him. He's like, we need another surgery. So we do another surgery. They release my adductor. So they go into both eyes and do that. A couple of weeks later, I get signed by the, the Lions. And I kept having this pain trying to recover and, and, and rehab and, and with my kicking. It just wasn't, felt like somebody was stabbing me in the leg. And so we had to go back in and remove scar tissue off the nerve. And I didn't train at all that that kind of year at all as far as kicking. And I just went into training camp. I thought I was going to retire right before training camp. I get to training camp, finally make some some headway. And there was a young athletic trainer that just saw me as as kind of a project. And, and he really got me to be able to play that season, 2013. So that was my last regular season um, in the NFL, two, 2013. So basically, I went from three straight Pro Bowls to three surgeries in 16 months. Jesus. And from my last Pro Bowl to my last game was 22 months. So I went from the pinnacle to the outhouse like that. We decided to move during 2013. We bought a place down in the Nashville area because we had been living in the Philly area, even though it was New Jersey, it was really close to Philly. Sure. So we're we're getting down a little closer to where my folks were, my wife's folks, no state income tax. I was training with a guy that played with the Titans at the time. His name was Rob Moronis, and I coached him a little bit when I was in college, and he was in high school, and he wore his number two because that was my number. And we had had this kind of friendship of uh, over the years, but we were training together to the point where, hey, man we're going to get this opportunity again. Let's, let's just see what happens, what opens up. He went up and worked out for Detroit because the guys that they had brought in hadn't done as well since they replaced me, ironically. And it was a Wednesday. He went up, we were kicking together. He went up Tuesday, back Wednesday, we were training. 
he was going to go up for his dad's birthday in Kentucky on Friday. I get a call Sunday morning that he died that Saturday night in a car crash. Um, and at that point, I, I kind of lost the, the, the will to kind of train. I moved to another place. I was 40 years old. My training partner just got killed. I'm in this new area that I, I really don't know many people. Everything that I had done in life basically is is changing. And I had been in two a day since eighth grade, and now I'm 40 years old. What am I to do now? I'm an educated guy, but you're starting over. And I, I went through some depression for sure. And I didn't know it at the time. Everybody told me that's what it was. Lost a ton of weight. I had this anxiety that was up. I mean, I kept thinking. And I wasn't training my body. I got up, for me, about 195 pounds. Within a year from that point, I got down about 170, got up to about 195, somewhere in that range. And I was struggling, struggling. To, and I was hurting, physically hurting, because I kind of said, I'm going to stop working out. I realized that I had to be active. My body was in shock because of me kind of stopping cold turkey. Yeah, right. I'd been training for so many years. It it was like, what are you doing? So everything hurt. My mental, my, my head hurt. I had headaches all the time. My body just ached all over um, to the point where I said, I got, I got to change this. So I kind of started getting back after it, started doing some metabolic training. When I was at 43, I uh, was introduced to kind of slalom skiing and mm-hmm. people were like, Oh, you talking about snow skiing? I was like, no, like I had a lake place and I mean, I wakeboarded some just for fun. I did a little wake surfing. I wasn't any good at it, but I mean, I golfed and done that, like really tried to put the time in. And I had a buddy said, Hey, um, our, our kids played lacrosse. He said, Hey, I got a, uh, a brother-in-law that lives down at the lake here. I said, okay. So they stopped by. And I meet this guy. He's like, hey, we do water skiing. I said, dude, I haven't water skied since I was a teenager behind our 22-foot cutty cabin, right? And what is this really? He said, well, we do this course. So he's got a course out here. I went, oh, really cool. So he takes me out Father's Day of 2017. And I got hooked on to be able to train in something like I did with football. And I know this might sound cliche to people, but I found my locker room again to a degree. There's something in life when you're in sports that, that I think molds us. And I I really am a huge proponent of sports because it teaches you self-discipline, self-motivation, teamwork, how to look for a bigger purpose than yourself, how to understand that, you know, it's not about you, you know, there's no I in team, but there is a me. I mean, there is that, (laughs) but working for kind of a greater good. And, and with that, you have the camaraderie that you that you can join in with people from different lifestyles. And, and that, that to me is important. So for me, when you're saying, is there something specifically I'm, I'm back into? Yes. So now I train completely different, trying to get my body to be lean, but yet muscular, the strength to weight ratio. So it gets my mind going, like, how can I train? That's not obviously kicking and punting. I am definitely doing more aerobic versus anaerobic. And and people are like, well, what does that mean? Well, you have different body types. And I shared this earlier. Like I had success 
at 209 pounds going to three Pro Bowls. And I had success at 185 to 190 pounds going to three Pro Bowls. There's a commonality with how I train kicking wise, but different body types are great. But I tell you this, I felt better doing the more explosive and high rep workouts than this kind of all power, do a few reps and then heavy weight. And your listeners may be going, what, what does that mean for me in the business world? It means a lot because it shows you that there are two ways to have success, but one might actually give you more growth and long lasting, which the lighter one was going to do. If I would have done that earlier, I think I would actually had a, a longer mm-hmm. career. It made me uh, able to be able to uh, be in better shape in a way that would propel me for a better lifestyle. So I have had to change the way I eat because as we get older, our metabolism changes and, and work. You, you also have to realize when things aren't working well, you have to be able to, to be a chameleon and, and kind of, you know, change your colors or who you are and, and mold and adapt and, you know, play those audibles in, in, in your work. But you have to be able to identify that as well and not just be say, well, Tonight, I'm going to eat me about 10 to 12 Oreos and, you know, I'm going to have it in a bowl of ice cream and, and wash my sorrows away. And yeah, that's great. But again, it goes, it puts us into those two camps. Are you going to be that group that says, you know, I'm just satisfied with being this, or are you going to be that guy's like, I just want to find something to be better. And, and, and I do drive my wife a little crazy, you know, on some of this stuff, but I do believe that. <laughs> The people that are successful, they they do that to no matter what they're doing. I'm sure you're, that's kind of the same thing in your life. What you're kind of doing with your coaching, what are you doing this with with your podcast that you're, you're working on and how that may go for the next couple of years, what you're doing in your regular business. When you do something well, if you're really good at it, you're trying to find avenues of how to be even more successful at what you're doing. You're constantly trying to evaluate yourself and make yourself better in the education of, of the knowledge that you're bringing in. So you just keep trying to educate yourself in the different avenues that you're trying to, uh, to improve at. And I believe that is the true telltale of success when you're trying to constantly educate and better yourself. Yeah. Um, so I completely agree. And, and the way you said it, resonates a lot with me. And, um, I guess I, I have a question for you that, that like, you know, something that I sort of struggle with. And, um, I think a lot of self-motivated people do, how do you know, and this is great coming from a pro bowler from the NFL because, uh, maybe it's never, but how do you know when to taper back? So like, and when I say taper back, it doesn't mean give up. It means give yourself a break. Um, oh my God, I was supposed to be up at 5 a.m. I was supposed to run three miles. I was supposed to not even look at an Oreo. Never mind. I was supposed to do this. I was supposed to have a conversation. And then at some point, like, how do you balance? And it's not quality of life because I think a good quality of life for me and I think a lot of other people and what you said is moving and being active. That is part of quality of life. But how do you, do you tone it down? When do you tone it down? And how do you know when you've toned it down enough and you need to tone it back up? Does that, does that make sense? Sure. Let me, let me start it with this. I was fortunate to play in 
those 15 full seasons. I believe, I can't remember exactly how many years of, of playoffs we went to, but I went to seven NFC championship games and then six Pro Bowls, two Super Bowls. What that means is this on a timeline is the NFC championship games are generally the last kind of weekend in January. And you start training camp usually around the 22nd, 23rd-ish of July. So then if you go to a Super Bowl, that's usually the second week in February, second weekend. And back then, or the first weekend back sometimes. And then this, the Pro Bowls were right after that, the weekend after it. Now the Pro Bowl's in front of the Super Bowl. But let's just say on average, six out of those uh, 15 years, I was finishing up the second week of February. And I have to be back to full strength by mid-January, or excuse me, mid-July. So you have a timeline of how you want to peak up for the season, right? The next month, I ate the worst food you could see. Like I just gorged myself with the stuff that I (laughs) wanted to. Like I would eat a whole side of Chips Ahoy that next week. At the time, I would drink the Mountain Dews and all that. And then I would not work out at all. Nothing. Complete, you know, just sedentary watch shows, you know, whatever. It was always cold up in the the Philly area at that time. So you're just kind of hanging out. But then you start to say, okay, I had that. Now let's start getting back on track. We start a light workout, no kicking. We start eating better. Start doing more of the cardio, metabolic training, depending on whatever people, you know, whether we were doing treadmill, whether we were working on explosiveness, whatever, we are starting to get the body back in shape. Because as the season goes on, you're tearing it down day in and day out because of the consistency of it, right? You have to take breaks. I didn't even start kicking. So my last, call it, no matter if I ended the season the second week of February, April 1st was the first time I kick again. I didn't kick at all during that time. I did all the other things to the body. There was, there was mobility. There was flexibility. There was strength training. There was cardios. There was you know, eating better. And all that would get me up to the point that in July, at the end of July, I was at optimal peak fitness. And when I went in for the, the eye test from the, from the team coaches, they – they don't even care really what you weigh. You know, you have to weigh what the what these strength conditioning guys tell you. Otherwise, you get fined a lot of money per pound per day. Really? But moreover, it's the eye test. Oh, this guy's been working at it. He's ready to go. And you have to be because you know how long the season's going to be and the consistency of the grueling nature of the sport. It it wears on you mentally and physically. And I wouldn't even take the shots. And, and I've heard people say, you got the best job Monday through Saturday, but they don't want the job on Sunday because of the mm-hmm. mental aspect of it. But in life, and you have to have a plan too. So that was my plan. This is how I did it and progressed. I didn't kick off till June 1st because I didn't need that extra strain on my leg. So you see these guys, well, I'm, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to go get it. I, I work with kickers all the time. They just played a full season in college and then they're training two weeks later kicking the ball again. I'm like, you've given yourself no time for recovery. Mm. 
you actually have to go less is more so you can propel yourself higher later. If you're going to, that's why the crash diets never work. Because you're going, you're, st- oh, I'm going to do this. This is the way I'm going to yeah. do. But it's a change of a, of a, of a mindset of a lifestyle. Like don't deprive yourself of the glass of wine. Don't deprive yourself of a couple of those Oreos occasionally. Don't eat three scoops of ice cream. If you can get to a point where, yeah, you occasionally do that. Or if you have to have that taste, you know, one thing that a strength conditioning guy goes, man, ice cream was his deal. He would take one, he had his own carton. He would take one spoonful a night and that would satisfy. There are things in life that we have to do that we say, okay, this can help us, but too much of this can actually hinder us. If I wanted just to work kicking, kicking, kicking all the time, I'm only going to get weaker. I already shared with you that if I didn't work both sides of my body, I could only unfortunately get so strong. So again, if I was just working this, you know, because this is the way you're banging your head against the wall and you're looking for those different results, you know, this is a way to say less is more. And you kind of sit back at that 30,000 foot elevation and you're like, okay, now I can see it clearly here. I can see this holistically. I've been compartmentalizing everything. And I believe that whether we're talking corporate speaking or whatever, if you can think of that kind of pinwheel, you, you got your, your crux of what your, your mission statement is, what your, your objective is in life, whatever that is. And then you have these spokes that come off of that that help you in a holistic way accomplish it all. That is important to identify. Mm. Whether you can do that on by yourself or you have to have your team around you to help you with that, then, then so be it. But to have success where you want to be, you got your goal. How are you going to obtain that goal? Well, you can't just look at one spoke. You have to look at the different spokes and how that can actually get you there. And that might be a little deep or, you know, too much homework for some people. But ultimately, I think if you sit, spend that time to brainstorm, whatever you want to call it, um, you will see more results. You can have your dream, but if you don't have the goals and kind of assessment areas to attain that dream, it's really hard to attain it, right? Like you say, well, I'm going to go play in the NFL. Well, well what does that mean? How do, how do you attain that? How do, how do you have success in X business versus Y business. Well, I just want to go do that. Well, you you just can't say you're going to do it. You have to have a a strategy and a game plan to be able to accomplish that. And again, I go back to, you can't do it by yourself. Surround yourself with great people so you can be great as well. Understand that the plan has to be adaptable because sometimes things just don't work. If, 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 Think about this. Netflix wasn't really much different than a blockbuster video initially. Right. You know, you went and got the box and you got, you know, you, you just got your video through mail. Yeah. Yeah. Now it's completely different. If they did not adapt their, their mission, they would not be the success that they are. And you can go down the line with X company. You look at other people and you're like, well, no wonder you're floundering because you're not willing to change your mission statement. You're not willing to – your mission statement may be the same as, as, as hey, I want to produce X amount for uh, of quality 
supplies or whatever to this, this group of customers. But if those customers are no longer buying your product, you have to be able to drop back, have an audible punt, if you will, and, and go a different way and still have the mission of this is what I want a quality product for these customers. And this is how I'm going to do it. But if things aren't working, you have to be willing to adapt. You adapt or die is basically what coaches would say to us all the time. Again, there's so many, and that's why I think sports is so important individually or team-wise. I like the team aspect better because you re, you learn to rely on other people and not take it to the point of, of being worried about them taking your job. Case in point, my I had five teams that offered me free agent contracts right out of a uh, uh, University of Louisville. And I had a call from the Steelers that said it looked like I was going to be their seventh pick in the draft. And my name didn't come across the ticker. But I went down to the Carolina Panthers. And this was this was kind of dumb, too, because they offered me the most amount of signing bonus than these other teams did. It didn't end up being the best situation for me as a, a guy to make the roster. And dumb me, I went to a, a guy, a, you know, they had a, a, a kicker, John Casey. And John played 19 years in the league. He had just come off a Pro Bowl year, and he broke the NFL record for field goals in the season. Well, I'm there, and I realized, you know, I was known to have a, a really strong leg in college, and I just wasn't the most accurate. I'm seeing a guy that was accurate and had as strong a leg as that I had, and I was like, "Wait a minute, this is this is crazy." But he said, David, like, I think you need to make this change. I think you need to do this over here. And I, I started watching. I was like, this guy knows what he's talking about. I learned more in that training camp than I had learned in the four years of college and two years prior to that in high school that I learned to kick. So that basically six-week time frame, I learned more than I learned in six years. I went and I changed my whole technique because he said, David, if you do this, this is going to make you more consistent. If you do this, this is going to help you in your technique. If you do this, this is going to give you an opportunity to make it in the NFL. Mm-hmm. I could have taken that and said, eh, what do you know? Or I say, man, this guy's done it. I, I learned to recognize it right then, and I tried to implement it. And it took me six months after being released by the Panthers to really implement it. I went to the Falcons. I went and was competing against Morton Anderson and, and Morton's a, a hall of famer. I mean, honestly, if Morton had not redone his deal, I probably would have won that job. Cause my, my field goal percentage in camp was like 94% on nine foot poles, which is like being arena league poles. I was kicking incredibly then. And a lot of that is because John Casey wasn't worried about me taking his job. He was paying it forward, if you will, trying to bring up the next generation. Many times in the corporate world, there's more undercutting versus teaching. And instead of thinking, and I've said this before, thinking I need to protect mine, Mm. it's the rising tide lifting all ships. If you're confident in your abilities, don't worry about the guy that you're teaching because you can't teach him everything. He's taught me technique. He didn't teach me experience. I had to learn that on my own. And 
if he could have put his head on me, yeah, I, I could have possibly even had a better career. Who knows? But all that coming together in in athletics propels you forward, in my opinion, to the next level uh, on, on the, at the corporate level. If you have that sort of mindset, it's the people that are selfish and not willing to really help that next generation. I think really end up struggling to hold themselves back, and then people start to see that as well, in my opinion. So I will say this. I learned from John Casey, and I think you can ask anybody that competed with me at as when I was a, a veteran in, in the NFL that I truly tried to implement what John Casey did to me in my daily practice with those guys. Yeah. It's a big thing, isn't it? I mean, like anyone that's successful, and it's such like a – it's, 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 it's cliche, but it's like, you know, you got to get like the more you give, the more you get in a way like, and it's, it's crazy how that's, it's kind of hard to get behind. Right. Because, but if it's like, it's, it's, it, it, and it kind of feels good to help other people and to support other people. But yeah, I mean, you're right. It's just, it's got, it's gotten lost on a lot of people. And so there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, all right, man. I know we're at about an hour. I have one last question for you before I want to ask how people can get in touch with you. How much of your success would you attribute attribute to your mindset and mental versus physic versus you know physical capabilities? When I say physical, obviously in football it's kicking, but it could also just be like um, working hard. So, how much of it is working hard, and how much of it is just having the right mindset? If you had to give a percentage. Well, I wouldn't say working hard and mindset are taken away. Physical ability, natural born ability is one thing. And it's the working hard and never quit, want to persevere all the way through. Um, let me ask you this. This is one thing I ask for for, for the companies and, and people that I, that, I, that I speak to. Do you... Do you know what passion means? Uh, my opinion of passion would be something that invigorates you, that gets you excited, and something that you're willing that makes the hard makes the things you have to do not seem so bad because you're you're propelled to do them by some sort of internal thought. It's a heck of a definition there. And, I don't know if it made sense, but what do you think passion is? Or what do you well, know origin, passion is? The original definition of passion means to suffer. Martyrdom is the passion of Christ. That's the original definition of passion. But along with that is a barely controllable emotion. So think about this. If you're going to be a, a guy with passion or have passionate abilities you have to be willing to suffer and sacrifice for whatever that is. At the same time, you have to have a barely controllable emotion about that same subject. So whatever you're doing, you have to have this fire, this, this vigor, as you're saying, to, to go and do what you want to do. But you're going to have to be willing to sacrifice. You're going to have to suffer. You're going to have to die on some things for that. And there's always that in your in in whatever you're doing in your work in athletics whatever you want to say 
you have in your family, you name it. If you're going to be passionate about it, you're going to suffer something. Time, resources, um, relationships, something is going to suffer through that. But the the fire, if you will, that keeps you burning is that is that barely controllable emotion to to get what you want because of why you have the passion, if that makes sense. So it goes back to your initial question. What do you what do you think? You have to have a passion for something that you're going to be willing to work, work more than other people. There were people that were way more talented than me. There's going to be people that are way more talented than you. There's going to be even to your other guests, more talented than them. The difference is you have to have the ingredients of being able to have a work ethic that's second to none, willing to adapt to your circumstances, being able to change and all the while have this fuel, this passion, almost a white hot fire that says you're not going to be denied. Other than that, your, your abilities are going to take you so far. So many talented athletes that I've seen get to a point and never really have the success. And I've seen more that have less actual talent, but put that work in. They never quit. They have the passion for what they're trying to do. And again, that's in the corporate life, personal life, and in athletics. And when they do that, that's when you can see the success of the person. Yeah. <clears throat> wow. I love that, man. And I love that definition of passion. That's that's real. Um, so it's funny. I I I ask that question all the time because I, I and it's a good question. Pretty, you kind of caught me. Pretty, yeah. Pretty good um, answer, actually, that you had. And I was speaking at this uh, this big. It was kind of a college and high school hall of fame in Pennsylvania that they do. And I asked the question, you know, kind of just out rhetorically to, to the crowd. And there was a, a priest in there. He said, it's the suffering of Christ. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you're right. you should know, but you're right. You know? <laughs> but he's been the only one that's ever, ever gotten it right. But wow. it, it is, it is true that, um, you know, to have success, and you, the word passion is talked about a lot, but to have success, you have to be willing to suffer and sacrifice for what your goals and your dreams are. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Thank you, man. That was yeah, awesome. Thank you. How do people – um, yeah, I mean, how do people – I mean, obviously, they could type your name into Google and they could – probably find your Twitter and all that stuff. But I, I know, you know, how, if someone's loving what they're hearing and they want to hear more, yeah. what do you recommend? Well, if, if guys like this type of content, I, I love coming on podcasts or, or YouTube um, episodes, kind of like you're doing here. I started one not too long ago, just kind of with my kids as a family project. Uh, they do a lot of the editing and filming of it. And I just talk to, to guys basically want to hear a story because I believe everybody has a story. Um, that's important. And since everybody has a story, that story needs a platform to be shared. And I believe somebody can learn something through somebody's testimonies and, and, and stories. So I, I, I do that it's called kicking it with David acres. It's on YouTube and it's not kicking, it's kicking it. Um, and basically just talking so far, we've had majority of athletes and business people that or athletes that have turned to the business people uh, just kind of hearing their stories kind of kind of cool that way but um i also have david underscore acres too at, at instagram i am on on twitter i used to have a decent twitter following 
the year I was talking about that had those surgeries, I ended up getting death threats because I was the number one ranked fantasy kicker because I broke the NFL record the year before on points and field goals in a season. And I wasn't having a great year. So I started getting these death threats. So I deleted the whole thing. But some of the, some of the corporate, uh, the the companies in the the corporate world that I was doing business with uh, post football, they were saying, Hey, do you think you could have a little bit more of a social media presence? So I kind of started out. I don't have many followers on Twitter. I'm not as uh, a lot of stuff that I send on Instagram goes over there, but Instagram's probably where I do the majority of, of my, my stuff. And then, of course, the, the kicking it with, with, with David Akers on YouTube. I'd love to have people come on, subscribe, like, whatever. Uh, but again, just love sharing. Music.